Hi, Tribe. I'm Evelyn. And I'm Versavia. And you're listening to Objectively Type, a podcast where we explore the objective personality system. Today, we'll be discussing our baseline definitions for all the parts of the objective personality system, or OPS. This is our current understanding of OPS, which is sure to change in the coming months as we learn more and begin to really own the material for ourselves. Okay, so let's get started with saviors and demons. So, Versavia, you go ahead and, and start. So this is actually probably the part of the system that I'm still having the hardest time to own for myself and especially to be able to spot in other people. So Dave and Chan's definitions, I guess I'll just read through them to have a, something to work off of. So for saviors, they talk about how saviors are what we are responsible for. So I'm responsible, so I spend time on this. Something we have confidence with. I can work through the struggles here. And then things that are obvious. Let me just do that for you that you can thank me later. Like those are the sentiments around saviors. And then demons was like tidal waves. I'm not responsible. Someone else's fear and pain. Why does this keep happening to me? And then peacocking. I secretly want to be good at this. We should we should discuss peacocking later on because I have opinions about that. <laughs> but yeah, what about you? Yeah, so saviors and demons i agree that it's difficult to identify when you're trying when you're sitting down to type a person it's difficult to know what is a savior versus what is their demons i feel like i have a decent under like maybe it's more of a book understanding if you will you know i i have an academic understanding of what they mean and i feel that i have a sort of a personal understanding given that i've been typed and so when i think about my own saviors i think i understand what they saw but I agree with you that it can be very difficult to identify because in terms of the saviors, especially people tend to almost never, it's almost like they downplay or don't discuss their saviors. They just do them naturally. And then it, it can be difficult to even see it because we tend to look at our demons so much and bring up our demons and talk about our demons that they can feel like the savior if you're just watching somebody. You know, if a, if a person is talking all day about how they organize their house and look at this workflow system I made and yada, 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 it's like, wait, is that a savior? Is that a demon? What am I seeing here? Yeah. Yeah, I think that it's such an autopilot. Like our saviors are the things on which we are an autopilot. Like for me, savior FI, it's like, well, of course, I'm going to make my decisions based on myself what else am I going to do? It's like, well, well, duh, kind of thing. Whereas for another person, save your tribe, it would be like, well, no, of course, I'm going to make my decisions based on what works for the tribe. I think this is why you and I are a good match for this podcast, because I, I have save your tribe. <laughs> and that's exactly that is exactly what I think is my own opinions on things or what I want to do is always, always taking a backseat to the tribe or what others want. Like I will defer to others to an extreme point. And I'm, you know, I'm 35 years old as of last week. So I'm a, I'm an adult. <laughs> and yet still, you know, still there are times when I'm finding, I find myself just doing what it feels like the tribe wants. Um, so actually the savior demon thing is, is something that I've been focusing on for my own personal growth and development is how to strengthen that demon uh, self. And we'll get we'll get more to that as we go on down the line. So I don't know. I, th I think this is like in terms of my understanding of the system and how to use it, how to apply it. I think the saviors and demons is probably the area where I want to have the most growth because it's definitely not on any kind of like 
stable ground. Like observers, deciders, like, yeah, I got that. Or at least I think I do. But saviors and demons, I'm still very much struggling with, especially teasing apart the saviors and demons versus the masculine and feminine functions. Like the masculine letters always smack me. And I always think that those are the saviors and I end up being wrong. So that's the part I'm having trouble teasing apart right now. Yep. And even in my own life where I have a demon sensory and it's SI, I'm very aware of it though. And it's because it's masculine, I think. I think that's why like, you know, when you think of a of an ENFP, I don't seem to come off like an ENFP. <laughs> and I've never ever tested as an ENFP. Um, so either they're wrong, or it's there's something going on with that masculine function. So yes, for me, it's the tribe with my masculine tribe, because it's demon. But it's so strong. And there's such a like struggle with getting the tribe on board or like needing the tribe to be on board because that function is masculine, but it's not a savior. And it's like, yeah, but we'll, we'll get to those. I think that's probably enough for unsaviors, demons. So saviors and demons are going to come up throughout this entire thing. So that's why I kind of wanted to start there because OPS is really built on the concept of saviors and demons. And so if you're not on board with the idea that we have certain saviors and we have certain demons, the whole system doesn't quite work, I feel like. I feel like that is at least the beginning. Um, And then we go from there. So... Uh, under so so there's saviors and demons and then then we get into the human needs which is based on tony robbins uh he had four human needs that he proposed i don't know if he just came up with them actually now that we're talking about this if this was just something he just made up i don't actually know anything about tony robbins (laughs) i feel like it's sacrilegious to say that I listened. I had my Tony Robbins time. I've listened to Tony Robbins talks and stuff before, um, and, but I don't remember him talking about the the four human needs until I until I got here. So I'm actually gonna I'm gonna skip down to the four human needs and then talk observer decider because I think you kind of need the four human needs first before you can you can talk about those. So the the four human needs uh, are identity which is also known as significance or the self tribe. So that's others. It's also connection, organize or control. Uh, Certainty is what Tony Robbins calls that one. And then gather or variety. And so according to Tony Robbins, a human or a person needs all four of these things to be, well, well, I was going to say to be balanced, but I I mean, in reality, as a human, we need all four human needs. That's why they're called the human needs. (laughs) And so what tends to happen, back to the saviors and demons, what tends to happen is that we take responsibility for one of the identity versus tribe needs and one of the organized versus gather needs. And those become kind of our saviors that we've taken responsibility for. And then our demons fall on the other side of that coin. So if you've got savior self or identity, you're going to have demon tribe in some way. So those are the those are the four human needs. Yeah, but I think yeah, you pointed this out. And I think, you know, like Dave and Shannon have as well. But I don't think there's enough emphasis on the fact that we really do have all four needs. They don't just magically go away. <laughs> That was one of the biggest, the first sort of big aha that I personally had was realizing that we have all four human needs. I don't know what I thought before. It's kind of like you just said, it's almost like I just thought they just went away or something (laughs) because we spend so much time trying to focus on the saviors 
because the saviors are what identify kind of your type is you find the the two saviors and that kind of says, okay, you are a, you know, like in my case, I'm an N-E-T-E because I have savior gather and I've got savior tribe, but it doesn't mean that I don't have the need for identity and organize. Like you said, I still have those needs. It's just a matter of who's responsible. So back to the saviors and demons, who's responsible or who am I obligated to also? Yeah. And, and I think that's where it like, it jumps in with, if I'm saver self, I, I still have a need for tribe. It's just that because my tribe is my demon, it is harder to work through the complications of it. It's harder to feel responsible for getting it. It like, I still have that need, but it's like, it becomes more difficult to provide it for myself because it, it feels like I should export that responsibility. You and I are both EPs. And so we're actually relatively balanced with tribe and self. And where I've seen that is my husband, and we're going to talk about observer decider in a minute, but he seems to be a single decider. And for him, the tribe is like, he just doesn't even notice it or pay attention to the tribe. But yet every now and then he'll get that sort of tidal wave, which we haven't talked about tidal waves and we definitely should. He'll get that tidal wave where suddenly he says, I, where's my tribe? I have no tribe. Where have they been? And I'm like, yeah, because you haven't put any time in on the tribe. You know, he is, he is that classic tidal wave that is all over the YouTube videos and stuff like that, where he'll just look up and it's like suddenly, because he, he doesn't put any work in, there is no tribe, but he still has that need. Like it's still there. So actually, if you don't mind, let's talk observer decider real quick. Cause I, I think that these are all together. So, so the observers, and it really, a, a more proper way of saying it is really the single observers, because what it is, is the single observers have their two, observing functions on the poles, if you will. They have one savior, their top savior function is uh, is an observer. And it's going to be either gather or organize as their savior. And that's what defines them as a single observer. The single observers also are relatively balanced with self and tribe, but they feel stuck when it comes to control and chaos. That's where we as single observers are stereotypically, I'll say, off balance and it's because we've got that single observer as our savior. And if it's gather, then we might be okay with variety, but it's we get stuck when it comes to the control and chaos issues, if yeah. you will. And everything becomes a question of this problem would be solved if I just had the right information. It Everything becomes about the information, about gathering information, about controlling that information, who has the information, why don't they have the information? Everything is about information. I love that saying that observers thingify people because I do think that that is that's I know I'm guilty of that because the people just become a a variable in this system. It's really not good in some ways, but well, yeah, because we have our own like observer tidal wave. But before we get into tidal waves, deciders. So deciders. So the deciders are relatively balanced with the control and chaos thing, but they get stuck when it comes to self and tribe. So a single decider has either the self or the tribe, either identity or connection as their top savior. And so because they're so focused on either their identity and building up the self, they tend to lose the tribe. And that's what I was talking about with my husband. I love him but he's a single decider, self above tribe. And so he tends to be focused on what he likes to do and where he, what he's, you know, working on to the detriment of the tribe. And then suddenly he's like, wait, I have no tribe around me. Where are they? And it's because he's been working in his 
identity and on his personal projects and so forth. Whereas the those with the tribe above self, they are they almost lose their identity in who they are because they're so focused on making on doing for the tribe. The tribe is their top savior and they defer to the tribe when it comes to to everything. That's the idea. This is all definitions and you know, I I'm catching myself a little bit because I can hear the EJs telling me, oh no, I'm totally you know, I totally do things for myself. I'm not all about the tribe, but it's like in this sort of a platonic ideal, that's what, you know, the single deciders are about. Yeah. And then the deciders are also like relatively balanced with their observations. So they don't have the freakouts about information that we do because they can just toggle back and forth between the gathering and organizing really easily. And so I have been kind of avoiding the Myers-Briggs letters, but I think at this point I have to at least bring it up because I'm, I know shorthand I'm going to be saying them. So the single observers are your Myers-Briggs, IJs, and EPs. And the reason why they fall in the single observer category is because, again, if you look at their function, their cognitive function stack, the top function is an observing function. So the IJs are going to have introverted intuition or introverted sensing as their top function. And we'll get into what that means in a little bit. And then the the EPs, the Myers-Briggs EPs, are going to have extroverted intuition or extroverted sensing as their top savior. So they're going to be, the EPs have savior gather, the IJs have savior organize. So those are the single observers. The single deciders are going to be your Myers-Briggs IPs and EJs. So the IPs are going to have one of their introverted deciders, either introverted feeling or introverted thinking as a top savior. And then the EJs are going to have their tribe deciders or their extroverted deciders, uh, extroverted feeling or extroverted thinking as their top savior. So just want to get that out of the way. Yeah, yeah, because we use them synonymously. Well, like, I mean, not synonymously, but like an EJ, there is an assumption, an understanding that someone who's an EJ leads with tribe, right? And and so that's their main, that's their, I guess, top human need, if, if you can, I don't even know if that's a valid way of saying it, but let's go with it. So I happen to be, what Dave and Shannon told me, it was I, I'm an EP with some EJ-isms. So I am an EP with a side order of EJ. So when yeah. I speak of the EJs, it's with love and affection because I feel <laughs> like I'm, I've got an EJ inside of me. And prior to this, I tested as an EJ. So prior to finding OP, I tested as an ESTJ. I thought I was either an ESTJ or an ENTJ. I never really doubted that I was an EJ. So getting typed as an EP was kind of a fun and exciting uh, difference. <laughs> But I, I feel a lot of the EJ struggles, so I, I get them. Yeah. And meanwhile, I'm EP with a side order of IP because I have uh, Save Yourself. And I think that was like when I got my type from Dave and Shannon, the IP part didn't, I, I think it only started to click with Anna Kendrick when we were typing her and kind of like starting to understand and I'm still I think spotting the different ways it shows itself in my life and the the struggle I have between the self and tribe because at the end of the day we're both observers and even though there are those EJIP self and tribe struggles like they're relatively balanced compared to oh my god I need this information where's the information you know prior to finding this system that was where I always felt Myers-Briggs was off on me because when you read the ESTJ profiles or even ENTJ profiles or when you watch Dave's videos about the EJ tidal waves I was always like that is not like 
I'm definitely Savior Tribe, but I don't take it to this point, <laughs> you know, that, that... And, yeah, that's because you're a jumper, and so you don't fit within Myers-Briggs. Yeah, I don't fit, so that that was also very vindicating. <laughs> I was like, oh, great, I don't <laughs> fit. Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, yeah, so, so those are the four human needs and observer-decider. I think we definitely want to jump down into the letters because I think it'll help make a little bit more sense. Well, b- before getting into the letters, I guess there's a function, and when you talk about the Myers-Briggs stack it's comprised of four functions right and they're on two axes they're either on an observer axis or on a decider axis and then each letter has an introverted or an extroverted charge to it right and so introverted charge for a decider means identity extroverted charge means tribe and an introverted charge for an observer means organize and an extroverted charge means gather yeah, let me pause you for a moment here. I did give you the hard one. Sorry. <laughs> you did a great job of, of summarizing that. But if anybody's listening to this and you are a Carl Jung scholar, this is different. Now, I know Dave and Shannon's website says based on the functions, the cognitive functions of Carl Jung. And I think I think you got to be careful taking that too literally, because while this is based on on the ideas of Carl Jung, these definitions do not exactly match Carl Jung's definitions. We have people in the group who struggle with that. Um, and I understand why they do, because, I mean, from a strict reading, no, no. They, what they're doing is they're taking the cognitive functions and they're mapping them on top of uh, Tony Robbins. And so when you talk about introverted intuition being about organizing of the abstract, and we'll get into that more, that is different from the introverted intuition that Carl Jung was talking about. So I just want to kind of get that disclaimer out there so that people don't struggle. And I think this is a good place to jump in and kind of like, well, what's the point of the podcast? Like, what are we doing this for? And for myself, it was very much like, it's not that Dave and Shannon's system is flawless or foolproof or that OPS is like this new God or anything like that. It's that their process, I I guess I have faith in the process and that's what uh, we're trying to recreate here in the sense that, so they started out by picking one person to type, going into separate rooms, and then coming together and seeing if they can get the same of the 16 Myers-Briggs types, right? And they were getting at like 50-60% agreement rate, which is not very good. And so as they went over this and they iterated over the process, they went over the definition. It's like, oh, well, what do you mean by ENFP? Oh, that's not what I mean by ENFP. And so it expanded and it kept expanding until they got these 512 types. And that's kind of like our process here as well. So like they used Young and Myers-Briggs as a jumping off point and then they came up with OPS and like you and I are using OPS as a jumping off point. But like, who knows, in six months time, we might be like, oh, no, 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 that our understanding of tribe is different than their understanding of tribe. So let's like, yeah, so it's, it, it'll be a journey. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think this is where you and I as Savior Gather were a little bit more open to this not necessarily fitting in a nice box. <laughs> um, yes. But again, everybody can do everything. So I'm sure all the IJs just said, wait a minute now, I can handle different boxes too. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, so those are the cognitive functions. It's kind of an overview. And then, and so I guess I'll, I'll start with the deciders. So you've got two deciders, decider function types, if you will, the feeling and thinking. 
So feeling introverted or extroverted feeling is more about the priority or the value of something and then figures out the reasons later. So extroverted feeling is going to look at the priority and the values of the of the wider spectrum of the tribe, if you will. Sorry, I was going to say, let's pause on the introverted versus extroverted maybe like treat that so this is actually maybe a good opportunity for this this is one thing that I really like Dave and Shannon often talk about how you have to go through this checklist and everything's a binary coin right and when trying to type someone if I'm looking for extroverted feeling I, I see this like this is where I was way off with Anna Kendrick is because I was seeing feeling but I was also seeing self but I thought I was seeing extroverted feeling but really I was just seeing fi not fe and and so like the decoupling of like you're just looking at is it feeling or thinking? Which one is the priority, right? And then separately, is it tribers itself? And then sometimes they'll come together and it feels like FE is greater than the sum of its parts. But being able to decouple it and really look at it as each binary coin, I think is I think is a really big part of why their system works as well as it does. No, I think you're right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about let's talk about thinking with like as you said, just pure thinking, if you will. So. Thinking looks to figure out the reasons of something and then figures out the priorities or values later. So I was just revisiting the, I think it was a Q&A or maybe an extra that Dave and Shannon did about feeling versus thinking. And one of the things that Shannon talked about was how thinking really is trying to bang the blocks together to see what works and doesn't necessarily ask if there's any value or priority to this. And this is something she actually said in my typing video. She said, you know, thinking just wants to talk about unprioritized BS and just goes at it. And like, why are we talking about this? I don't know, but let's talk about it. Like, let's just bang together the blocks. Who cares if it's valuable? And and so that's sort of the, you know, it's an extreme. I'm obviously taking a trend and like drawing it out to the extreme case, but that is thinking is more about the reasons and less about the priority and feeling is more about the priorities and the value of something and less about the reasons. Anything more to say on that? Yeah. And I, I think it's really important to understand that everyone is capable of everything and everyone has reasons. Everyone has values. Everyone tries to understand the priority for something and everyone tries to understand how the pieces come together. It's just which one do you do first, right? So, and, and this is a great example of something that like an observer is able to toggle between the reasons and values a lot more easily than someone than who's a decider. So like you and I can probably toggle between those two more easily, like be able to look at how are these pieces coming together and then like, well, is it important? And like slip from one to the other. And Dave and Shannon talk about like th that video that you're talking about, that extra was really powerful for me too that really helped me understand things and they talk about like using it to triangulate like you need both you need latitude and longitude to figure out where you're at like and I think that's a really useful and powerful concept and a great example of like sometimes we double down on our saviors and we're just all in our saviors and we're not trying to like without even realizing it we're just avoiding our demons because they're hard and and I think that's when you encounter people who are really out of balance and then there are other times when we're trying to even though like you know thinking might be a demon trying to figure out well how does this work together how does it come together what are the reasons figuring all of that out yeah and, then, and another thing 
I don't think we did mention this, but a single observer is also known as a double decider. And so that toggling back and forth between the two deciders is what's called, you know, double deciding. And I think that also makes it a lot of times difficult when you're typing a, a somebody who you've identified, okay, this is a single observer, double decider. Now, are they self above tribe? Are they tribe above self? Are they thinking? Are they a feeler? It, it can be hard because of that toggling, because we're going back and forth between the thinking and the feeling as our two deciders in the middle. It, it can be difficult to identify which one is the savior when trying to type somebody. That's a really good point. Yeah. As a disclaimer, I always struggle with the deciders defining them very well. And I think it's because the deciders are kind of personal to people is what I found. Like when you like when I definitively say feeling is blank, I think I see a lot of people who are feeling dominant say, well, but I still have reasons. Like you were saying, like, I still have reasons yeah. for things. It's like, yeah, I, I'm not saying that you don't. I'm saying this is where the priority tends to lie for feeling versus thinking. But I think because the deciders are almost are by definition about your identity and your tribe, I think that we tend to take them a little bit personally. <laughs> um, whereas the observers, people seem to be, rel- even though in Myers-Briggs land, there's a lot of this like sensor, you know, oh, sensors aren't as good as intuition and all that. It feels like to me, my experience has been, I can talk about sensing versus intuition and people are a little bit less personal about it. I don't know. Yeah, I think I think you bring up a good point. It, it feels like there's this cultural judgment that is being placed um, on these things. And it, it feels like our society reinforces thinking over feeling. And like, th- there's a sentiment that if you are a savior feeling, that means that you're not able to reason through something or put the pieces together, or like, you know, put, figure out your the thinking part. But that's just a load of shit. Just the same as like, that sentiment that intuitives are smarter or whatever crap goes around in the Myers-Briggs about intuitives. Like, no, that's just a load of shit. Everyone is capable of everyone. And there are plenty of people who may be NT and are doubling down and are just completely out of touch with sensing or feeling. And plenty who are just balanced in all of it. Again, I, this is why I think you and I are a good match because I'm, I'm NT your SF. And I know, like my whole mission in life right now is to build my feeling function. (laughs) Like, that is what I am totally focused on doing. So yeah, when there's this sort of yeah, you're right, it's like a bias to favor thinking. I, you know, as somebody who is typed as savior thinking, I'm thinking, I want to get some of that feeling. Like, how do I get, (laughs) how do I strengthen my, both my introverted feeling, which is my natural function, and then my extroverted feeling. And that's a whole nother probably another podcast, um, how we that get, is. Yeah. how do we get those yeah. functions that aren't in our stack? Yeah, she's taking a note. Good. <laughs> I think my extroverted feeling is probably the, the function I have the most hard time with, but it's also not in my stack. So that makes sense. Yeah. So neither of us have extroverted feeling in our stack naturally. And so it's, it's, they can be more, they can definitely be more difficult. Those functions that aren't in our stack. Okay. So sensing and intuition, uh, I'll let you take that one. Yeah. So this is one that actually is a fun one because sensing was pretty much the only thing I was positive is not my savior. And then I come back with lead (laughs) SE. So, um, so I think at, at its core, sensing is about provable information, provable facts, something that is, well, I guess scientifically 
accepted by science or something like that. So it can be things that like I can see and touch and feel or it can be something that like, well, no, it's a fact that this happened. Like you can't refute that or or something that science has accepted. Yeah, it's anything. I I struggled with this early on because sensing is a pretty wide definition. It's like anything that has ever been capable of being observed by a human. So it's it's literally anything that can be or could have ever been observed. Although I will say that I think for some people, there is definitely a lot more emphasis on, well, I haven't experienced that, which is why. Mm, well, you know what? Fuck it. I'll, I'll get slightly political here, uh, which is why that like, you know, I mean, Kavanaugh, that just happened yesterday. But like that idea of, well, I've never felt uncomfortable with this person is used as evidence that therefore this person must make you feel safe. It's like, well, this person has never tried to murder me. So that means they're not a murderer. But So there is an element of, for, for some people, sensing is very much like a, I have experienced this. Whereas for other people, sensory can be just like, is this an uh, provable fact in some manner? When we're talking about savior sensing within the context of OP, it's and you could probably say this better because you actually have this, but they look to the provable facts first and then seek the abstract connections later. And so the facts are the facts are the savior at the end of the day. So if you and I were going to get into a fight, you would pull out the facts and you'd point to the facts and stand in and fight on the facts. So it's actually interesting that and maybe we'll talk about this when we get to the modalities a little more in the sexuals. But I actually think I attribute that more to masculine sensory, because I think even somebody who has savior intuition will pull out the facts as proof if they have masculine sensory. Uh, I think I don't know. No, (laughs) no, I don't don't think so. But we can keep going. So we can go to the what intuition is because we haven't gotten there. That's true. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, let, let, well, that'll be interesting to discuss. We'll yeah, because sure I won't die on the mountain of facts as an NT. I won't necessarily do that. But I, re- I respect the facts, but I don't... When I get into a fight, it doesn't matter what was necessarily said in a factual sense. I'm more pointing to the abstract of what it meant a lot of times. Okay, well, yeah, that's, that's valid. Well, actually, l- l- let's talk intuition. Because I think that's a really interesting point. But so intuition will is then the abstract connections, the conceptual stuff, and more like you look at the connections first, and then you look at the provable facts. So again, just like with feeling and thinking, just because you have one as a savior, and the other as a demon does not mean that you are somehow incapable of both sensing and intuiting, you can do both. It's just someone who is savior sensor will go for the provable facts first and then they will draw abstract connections and then someone who is savior intuitive will draw the abstract connections and then look to the facts and i think intuition is i don't know i guess trickier i i also think for myself it's a little more muddled because i have even though i'm savior se i have double activated ni so my se and ni for an ep are better balanced and muddle together really like a lot. Like I thought before Dave and Shannon take me, I thought I was an E because of that, because I saw the intuition with such like obviousness that, that for me, it's a little trickier to tease apart. Yeah, I think, you know, as somebody who is, you know, was, was at least typed as one, I think what it is, is it's a natural, it's it's like intuition, the, the abstract connections come first, and then I have to think about the facts to back those up. You know, it's like the the sensory takes extra effort 
whereas the the intuition is just like this natural thing that just kind of it's 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 very difficult to articulate because it's like the connections just manifest and then I have to go okay well where did I get that from though because ultimately we live in a sensory world and so the abstract connections came from some sensory source yes and I think this is where I personally struggle because I find myself functioning that way as well. But I think what makes me savior sensor is that I I feel obligated to have sensory information to back up those intuitive claims, which is which is actually a tidal wave that I've definitely spotted in my life is this like and especially times when my identity is on tenuous ground, if that makes sense. It becomes very, very difficult to trust my intuition, even when it's like glaringly obvious. I can't lean into my intuition unless I have sensing sensory facts to back it up, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it kind of goes back to the whole savior demon concepts, you know, because that is funny. Like the thing that I was pretty sure of before I got typed was demon sensory because and part of it is very anecdotal. Like we talk, we kind of joke about demon sensory a lot. But as somebody who feels like who identifies as demon sensory, like I kind of want to avoid the sensory if I can. <laughs> um, and it as somebody who has demon sensory as I mean, demon SI specifically, which is the organized sensory, it's 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 a difficult like you have to deal. We live in a world where I can't avoid I can't avoid SI. You can't avoid SI. You've got to do your taxes. You've got to do these organized sensory things like the laundry's got to get done. And yet I never want to take responsibility for that stuff. Like I just don't want. And that's where like that whole demon idea. And so those have been my EP tidal waves is just ignoring the sensory, which is right in front of me. Like I joked on the page that because there was another any dominant person who was saying that they had an idiot light on in their car for like ever. And they just ignored it. And this is anecdotal stuff, but I I have the same thing. It's like this sensory thing is literally light, you know, looking at me in the face every day, but I don't want to take responsibility for it. I just will ignore it until it can no longer be ignored. Um, that's where I was like, I, I'm pretty sure I have demon sensory. And then I also don't like to deal with the sensory required to make my sort of abstract ideas come to fruition. I just don't want to deal with them. And I think that's like... So I actually agree with or identify with the sentiments that you just expressed, which is one of the reasons why I was convinced that I have demon sensory as well. Because a lot of what you expressed is like, I don't want to deal with all of that stuff. I don't want to deal with getting those things that are required, daily requirements of life done. Or another thing that's very, very common with savior sensory is this idea that someone is like lives in their body and takes good care of their body and is usually tends to be like athletically inclined. So I was like, yeah, I definitely don't have savior sensory. Um, But that's not necessarily true. I think what I've been finding and this is kind of getting into something we haven't touched on is that someone who has savior play with sensory tends to be that like more athletic person. But we'll get to that later. But yeah, so sensory does not mean any like I I think it's a lot of it comes back to which one do you go to first? Because I mean, I don't know. I notice for myself, I I have double activated NI, so I intuit a lot, a lot more than I gather of the sensory, even though my SE is savior. When I'm not able to intuit something, I am okay having someone do it for me. And then I will take that in as like sensory information and sleep on it. 
if that makes any sort of sense. But I'm not okay with somebody gathering sensory information for me. I feel like, no, 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 you're going to miss something. I'm going to do it better. Yeah, I think that's what it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this is actually a really good discussion because I kind of struggle with that too of like, what does savior sensory actually mean? So yeah, maybe it's a responsibility. Maybe that's what it comes down to is like you just said, like you take responsibility because you you feel like another person isn't going to gather the sensory as well as you will. And I, I feel like my husband falls in that category too. That Because I think he's got extroverted sensing as a savior as well. And I know, and I also think, and by the way, we should probably make this a two-parter because I don't feel like we'll have enough time to really give the animals justice. <laughs> oh, that's a good point. The animals are their own. The animals and, and the modalities are their own fascinating beasts. Yeah, so maybe what we'll do is let's finish out the letters and then and then pick up the animals and the modalities. And, and all these other things that we have notes for, like peacocking and tidal waves and the functions that aren't in our stack. Yeah. He definitely does consume the sensory. And I think that, like you said, he feels an obligation that that it's it's his job or it's his responsibility to gather the right sensory. Does that sound right? Yes. Yes. To gather the right sensory. I like the way that you phrase that because it's like, well, I think this is another reason why. So Dave and Shannon often talk about like which one is God and which one is working in service of the other. And I don't really like that because I think it sets up an inaccurate dynamic because I gather sensory in order to find the patterns within it, right? But I run to the sensory. Like so so for myself, like I the the ultimate goal is to find the patterns to well, because I have savior sleep is like to make things more efficient, to expend less energy. Uh, but when it comes to gathering the sensory, I feel like if I have somebody like export that responsibility to someone else, like delegate it to someone else, delegate, that's the word, <laughs> delegate that responsibility to someone else, they're going to miss some kind of sensory information that I would not have. And therefore, my uh, whatever patterns and connections I will intuit out of that sensory information will be incomplete. And because this is a great example of someone who's an observer, I will freak out about that because I will have incomplete information and oh my God, God forbid I have incomplete information. Probably something a decider doesn't worry about. Right. And yeah, I mean, that that matches with what I think is going on with my husband, whereas like I don't do that. Like I don't feel this responsibility necessarily to gather the right sensory. And I think, so we should probably get on to the next one, the SFNTSTNF, because I think a lot of what I identify as is the NT, the nerdy. So I'm going to, let's just go there. <laughs> and so I, because I think you've probably struggled with the SF part too. Yeah, I personally think, okay, so like to offer the context, the, the, these letters, the uh, feeling and thinking, FT, sensing and intuiting, SN, in combination is like SFNTSTNF that Dave and Shannon have put together. And they call SF like popularity talk, valuing things in the physical world, NT, nerdy talk, ST, reporter, and then NF, hippie. And I personally don't like those labels at all. Terrible. Yeah. One of the, yeah. I, I tried to relabel these things. Um, oh, but- yeah. Yeah, I tried. And I, I actually don't remember what I had. So I'll have to maybe bring it up uh, for next time. But so the idea is the sensory is the physical world. And then F is value, right? And the N or the intuition is the abstract world. And T is reasons. So SF is value in the physical world. And T is reasons in the abstract world. ST is reasons in the physical world. 
NF is value in the abstract world. That's what they're trying to get at. But the popularity nerdy reporter and hippie gets really problematic. I think it's if you're observing someone, uh, YouTube and real life, whatever, and you're like getting this like, oh, my God, this is such a reporter like list of ST robotic. Like, here's all the list. Then I think it's more okay to be like, oh, it's ST that I'm hearing. But the other way, I don't think it works. Like, I I don't think I speak in popularity talk. I could be wrong. I don't know. Maybe that is a vibe that I give people, but it's not how I perceive myself. So I don't think it's a one-to-one relationship. Well, and I think because your F is an introverted feeling, what does popularity mean when you're talking about an individual anyway? You know, like popularity kind of implies the wider spectrum in that word. Yeah. So for me as a, so I'm an NT and I mean, I do consider myself nerdy, so it actually kind of fits. But the, what they pointed to in my typing video was that I am constantly trying to figure out things in the abstract world. That's kind of what I'm all about. And that, and so in the emails, that's what they were seeing me do. I do it all day long at work. I'm always sort of NT puzzling things out in the abstract world. And that's what I take responsibility for. And I, and so for me, I think that I think that that's where at least personally, I identify as an intuitive because I feel that it's my responsibility to figure stuff out in the abstract. So figure out sort of the trends behind things and the, you know, the more abstract conceptual level of why things work. I don't necessarily feel an obligation to gather the right sensory to necessarily back up those trends. I can, I can outsource that. I can have somebody else go get the sensory for me. But I'm the one that's that's trying to figure things out. But I, you know, this is a this is one that I know everybody can do everything. But yeah, yeah, very much so. I personally don't identify with SF popularity at all. But this might just be that I'm not seeing myself clearly. That's very possible. I, I, I think like well, I will say that at least earlier in this very discussion, it sounded like you do see a value in the sensory, though. Yes, and that's what I think the difference is. Like, so um, I. I think when you break down SF as in sees value in the physical world, I think that is true because I'm always trying to figure out, well, what like at the end of the day, the reality is what matters and um, what is the value that it's bringing. I think that's very true for what I do. I don't think popularity talk is necessarily me. And I think um, physical world is not what I would, I wouldn't use physical world. I would use sensory world because physical world implies it it feels like physical world is a part of the sensory world but the sensory world encompasses more than just the physical world if that makes sense like physical world just feels i i I do think that there is it's kind of the factual world if you will yes factual world um i think there's a big difference between something that is part of the definition like you can lean on this all the time and then trends and patterns and observations that you can often cluster together but you can't lean on in terms of how these work how these come together so like someone who's savior nt will very often be nerdy um, like their language will be nerdy talk like we'll give you that impression but there are exceptions to those rules right so that's like an overall trend and pattern rather than a part of the definition. The the only part of the definition, the way that I see it for like NT is figures out reasons in the abstract world first and then seeks to find the value in the physical world. Does that make sense? Yeah. So like for SF, popularity is probably a very common 
pattern, a very common trend, but it's not a one-to-one and all be all definition. Yeah, right. <laughs> and that's me, sensory first <laughs> and intuition second. Let me gather the sensory and then we can talk about patterns. And then there's SD and NF. Yeah, which is, yeah, we kind of focus on SF and NT because that's ours. <laughs> but yeah. ST is, well, I think the concept that you just laid out, you know, fits that essentially ST is looking for reasons in the sensory world first that prioritize that and then seeks to figure out the value of that in the abstract. And NF, quote unquote, hippie sees the value in the abstract world. So they get a sense of the value of something in the abstract. And then they, first, that's the top. And then later they seek to figure out the reasons in the sensory world. I'm trying to be more NF hippie myself. Your NF is consume? N-E-F-I, right? So N-E-F-I. It's so that's your second animal? Yeah. We'll, we'll get into animals later. Yep, yep. Because we're at almost an hour. So that's why I'm like, we should. yeah. That's a good point. And we've talked the functions. So next would be animals and the modalities. Yeah. You, you want to tackle the functions, um, how they combine with their introverted or extroverted charge now? Or do you want to tackle that with the animals next week? I say let's tackle it with the animals this, next week. Yeah, I think that makes more sense as well. Yeah, we've, we've kind of touched on it here uh, a little bit. Uh, when we were talking about the differences, but I think they, I think that feeds very well into the animals because that's how the animals work, really. Yeah. Yeah. Let's put a pin in this one. Uh, this will be part one. So. And we'll do part two next week, and then cliffhanger. Yes, a little teaser for you guys. We're doing animals next. <laughs> yep. Okay. Okay. Cool. So next week we're gonna do animals, guys. I uh, I hope that you enjoyed this. I know. I did. Yeah, me too. All right, then. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye.